So I want to start with a question. It's, you know, maybe too bad we didn't leave the kids in here, but here's the question. What do our kids need the most? What do our kids need the most? Listen to this. It's not better teachers, not better textbooks, not better curricula that our children need the most. It's better childhoods. And we will never see the lasting school reform until we see parent reform. That was written by Samuel Savah, Project Head Start Pioneer, 2006. What do you think about that? What what kids need most really is parent reform. In a recent survey, Ellen Galinsky interviewed more than 1,000 kids in grades 3 through 12 and asked them, if you were granted one wish to change the way your mother or father's work affects your life, what what would your wish be? They wished that their parents would be less stressed out and tired. In fact, that was more important than FaceTime with parents. The parents would be less stressed out and less tired. The parents in the survey were completely out of touch. Virtually none of them expected that their kids wished that they had less stress. Galinsky then asked the children to grade their parents on a dozen different scales. Overall, the parents got high marks. Mom's got a 3.4 GPA, and Dad's got a 2.98 GPA. However, anger management was the most difficult issue for parents. They, anger management was what they got the low. We are in the book of Ephesians. And we've talked about anger already in the book of Ephesians. And if we call ourselves Christ followers, how do we live out this identity, our new identity in Christ? How do we live this out in our homes? And the Apostle Paul has some good instructions for us in Ephesians chapter 6. And so um, allow me to read We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 first, and then we'll look at verses 5 through 9. But Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to follow along in your uh, Bible, uh, here's what the scripture has to say. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Some of you probably wish your kids were still in here just for a few more minutes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy children instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So we're going to look at those four verses. Now, as we come to this text, I want to make a couple of background observations, some things that we've already talked about, um, and especially last week because we looked at, uh, we looked at husband and wife and God's uh, plan for the husband and wife. And just let me remind you is that God is the one who designed the family. It was, he thought it all up, he planned it, and he produced the first family. And his design was, according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, there would be one husband and one wife, 
And, that the, and by the way, there's a lot of Old Testament saints that got that totally messed up about how many wives they were supposed to have. One husband, one wife from the beginning. And the two would become one flesh. The two would become one. And yes, it included the sexual relationship, but a relationship that had the most human priority. The number one human priority, husband and wife, and they had this commitment for a lifetime, 24-7, and um, out of that commitment was the possibility to have a family and to raise kids. And God's design was that kids have the opportunity to grow up in a home where mom and dad love each other, where mom and dad are committed to each other, a safe place where kids can grow up have some protection from the real world and some instruction from mom and dad along the way. It's going to be a safe place to grow up and thrive and to ask hard questions, you know, and to continue to learn and and to be equipped to go out and face the real world as young adults. So a little background, kind of the whole Bible right there um, on God's design for the family. So we come to Ephesians chapter, walking with Christ and raising kids. That's what this is about, walking with Christ and raising kids. By the way, if you don't walk with Christ, raising kids is going to be pretty hard, pretty difficult. Um, First, we're going to start with the kid's responsibility. Um, And when we talk about the child's responsibility, for example, it says, uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Well, you know, it's easy for dad to sit back and say, see kids right there. Well, how do they know that? Who is going to help them understand that? Who's going to teach them? Who's going to teach them about the Lord so they understand that it's important? Um, And so there's a big assumption here that um, parents must understand the meaning and significance of this themselves as parents. Uh, the first reason for Ephesians 6 1 is it's a Christian responsibility. Children obey your parents in the Lord. They have this responsibility to Jesus. They have a responsibility in the Lord, in their in the relationship of the family with God. This is how God designed it. This is what God wants. Uh, secondly, it's right. And here's one of those clear right and wrong issues. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Uh, it is fitting with who the person of God is. Um, it's, it's fitting for the order that he's established in the family. It's the right thing to do. Rebellion is at the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, rebellion uh, puts a child in the sphere of the evil one. That's his practice. That's his habitat. So it's going to be an important thing to teach. Now, it isn't just, okay, kids, you obey. I said it. That's it. There's a whole lot more that goes into raising kids than that. Um, but we're talking about reasons here. It's, it's a Christ follower's responsibility. It's right. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 says this. Children, obey your parents in everything... For this pleases the Lord. Normally, it's a child's responsibility to obey in everything parents ask them to do. Now, 
we're going to go further in just a minute. And yeah, there's some things, there's some questions when parents get kind of out of hand in how they do this. Um, anytime, and this, this includes anytime in Scripture when somebody is asked to do something that dishonors God or disobeys God, not required to obey. So if, if a parent asks a child to do something that was sinful, child before God would never have to obey. But you put a child in a really, really difficult place when, when they are small and you are big. Um, but um, that's the norm. It's just normal for kids to obey their parents when children learn to obey uh, their parents. Reason number three, it brings God's blessings and saves much grief. Uh, verse two, honor your father and mother. This is a, one of the commandments in the Old Testament. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Some would argue, well, there's other commandment that goes ahead of that. It has a promise. And this is not the first, this is the second. The idea is, this is of first importance. It's one of the very first things you're going to teach your kids. This is important, and it has a promise with it. And the promise is... Uh, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, this isn't like a magical promise where, okay, I got this obedient kid and so I'm guaranteed this certain kind of life. That's not what it's really about. Uh, First of all, this was a promise originally in the Old Testament to the nation Israel in the land. They're going to go well when they lived in the land and followed uh, God's instructions. And now this carries over now to the New Testament. And the idea is um, it, it, uh, obedience puts the child, think of this, that the obedience puts a child in a place of blessing from God. And by the way, that's a really good place to live, is in the place of blessing. When you follow Christ, you put yourself in the place of blessing, God's favor on your life. You need all the resources you can get when you go through life, when you face a lot of difficult things. You want God on your team. God's favor puts you in the place of blessing. Children obeying their parents puts them in the place of blessing. And by the way, the way God has designed family is if you follow your parents' advice, assuming your parents are reasonably wise, help you avoid making foolish decisions, and some really unwise choices. And because the idea is that when we raise our kids, uh, they, they develop in their thinking as they grow up. They develop in their ability to make choices about reality. And kids need some uh, protection along the way. They need some coaching along the way. They need some direction along the way because one day they're going to launch and they're going to be totally on their own to make all the decisions in the world they want to make. And the goal of parenting is to help them get there so they can make good decisions as their own uh, person. Um, Parents' responsibility. We finally get to that. Parents' responsibility. First of all, here we go. Verse 4, don't exasperate or provoke your children. Verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, so we're going to have a negative focus here about all the things you're not supposed to do for just a minute here. Fathers don't. Uh, some transference. 
the idea is, dads, you are the head of the house. You, God is going to hold you responsible for the family. And I also think maybe God knew that sometimes dads are the ones that are most likely to exasperate their children. Maybe or maybe not. At least in our home, it seemed to work that way. Um, so don't exasperate your children. Now for me, one of, the, one of the quick ways I learned this, I was trying to figure this out as a brand new Christian. What do you mean? How do I exasperate my kids? Well, one of the ways that I used to exasperate our kids is I would, we would get to either wrestling or tickling, and my kids would all reach a limit. Enough. And I'd just keep going. I'd just keep pushing, wanting to have more fun, getting them to laugh more. And they had reached their limit, and they were done. Now they're crying. That's just a little illustration of how to exasperate. It might be pretty tame, but it's going beyond their limits. Kids have limits. Every kid is different and was joy all of a sudden causes pain and tears that's different that's you're that's starting to hurt dad um, so don't exasperate here are some things some observations here don't misuse your authority to physically or emotionally or sexually abuse your kids now i probably don't have to say this but i am going to don't misuse your authority uh, your authority, because you have authority in the home, you can misuse it and cause harm for your kids. Physically, by being too harsh. Emotionally, by being too harsh and damaging with your words. Um, I hope I don't have to say, I explain the sexual part of abuse. Uh, it's totally inappropriate. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Uh, the way parents, the way we treat our kids, we can build them up or we can set the limits so high that it discourages them. We can stimulate by, uh, by exasperating them. Next, use your wisdom and experience to encourage. This is kind of a positive one in a list of negatives. Use your wisdom and experience to encourage and build up your kids. Okay, you're raising your kids, you find out you're in a situation where they've disappointed you, and in fact, you're just a little bit angry, or maybe very angry. Anger is a human, God-given emotion, and we all experience it, and we probably ought to all identify that, yes, that's true. And it's helpful to know when we are feeling angry. Sometimes, I start to get angry, and I don't even notice it, and... The good news is I'm married, and I have a wife who lets me know, oh, yeah, maybe I am. Maybe I did raise my voice a little bit. Maybe I am getting a little harsh. So this is for parents. Ephesians 4, 26 in the home. We've already looked at this. It's been several weeks past. In your anger, do not sin. It's normal that you're going to be angry. You don't have to sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Um, anger, we need to deal with it. We need to be honest. If I blow up at my kid, I need to say I'm sorry. If I go over the top, I need to say I'm sorry. I need to ask forgiveness. Our kids need to learn to hear when we're sorry. But please notice this. Don't give the devil a foothold. This is how the enemy gets into Christian homes. Think about this. It's an open door, uncontrolled anger in the home. Nobody sees your anger. 
except the fam. Uh, and anger can be an open door. The enemy can just come in and camp out when, when anger goes over the top. You're, it's like inviting the enemy in. And we have to deal with that sin. We have to uh, make sure that our lives are cleaned up. And the enemy is out of the blinded to this sometimes as Christians. Um, Ephesians 4.29 through 32. This is for moms and dads. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths when you're talking to your kids, okay? Um, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And that's complicated with kids, isn't it? A five-year-old has different needs than a seven-year-old and a different need than a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old. And it takes some discernment on the part of parents how to speak to their kids according to the needs that it may benefit those who listen. Am I helping this? Am I, am I providing instruction and direction and help? Or am I tearing down? Am I just being negative? Am I cutting? I mean, am I devaluing my child with my speech? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because the way you speak can cause God pain even in our homes. Uh, next slide. Get rid of all bitterness, moms and dads. Rage and anger and brawling and slander along with kids, even when you discipline. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Learn to forgive your kids quickly. Sometimes it might seem really easy. Sometimes parents hold grudges, and they just keep reminding their kids of their mistakes. Um, just as Christ and God forgave you. Um, so use wisdom and experience to encourage and build up your children. Uh, next, don't be inconsistent in your words and behavior. This may seem obvious. Don't be inconsistent. Um, there's a lot of reasons why we get inconsistent. Sometimes it's because our parents were very inconsistent with us. We didn't learn um, the idea of faithfulness, the idea of day in and day out, the, the idea of integrity, the idea of, an, of honesty. And uh, don't be inconsistent. This, when you're inconsistent and you're, it's confusing to kids and it's frustrating to them, and they let me know the focus. Just try to be on being consistent. I was not a perfect father, let me just say that. But we have a lot of wisdom in Scripture. And um, God is in the process. This isn't about a bunch of rules. This is about God transforming our hearts by the way, kids can understand your heart in transformation. If your heart is in transformation, it's going to help your kids, not hurt your kids. When they see humility, when they see I'm sorry, when they see you ask for forgiveness, your kids are going to learn a ton about the Christian life. Don't be inconsistent in your words and behavior. Don't fail to keep your promise. This is probably kind of obvious. Keeping your promise. You say you're going to do something and you don't do it. Then they don't know whether to trust you. Oh, mom said she's going to do it, but she's probably not going to do it. What are the promises that you can keep? They're worth keeping and they're worth celebrating. You're teaching your kids a ton about life. In fact, you're helping them learn to trust God. God keeps his promises. God is faithful. And as we are faithful, we help our kids. Don't fail to keep your promises. 
Uh, don't focus on blaming. Instead, focus on praise. Your kids uh, are going to fail and make mistakes, and they, they, may need, they need to be called out. And honesty dealt with it, and then forgiven, laid aside. Uh, be careful about just blaming and, oh, it's your fault. And sometimes kids get blamed and they've never been instructed on how they were supposed to do it the first time. Sometimes parents have the attitude, well, any eight-year-old ought to know how to do that. As if, and this eight-year-old has never, uh, be careful about blaming. A blame produces shame. And sometimes that's kind of, you, sometimes we grow up with somebody, a parent shaming us. And it almost becomes a second nature to us to want to end up unconsciously passing that on to our own kids. Don't be inconsistent and unfair in discipline. The next one, um, don't be inconsistent and unfair. Sometimes, depending on how we feel as parents, we can be overly gracious, and the next time, we can be overly strict. And that's inconsistent. And they more and more need consistency What's expected of me? What are the consequences? Will it be fair? Not over the top one time and didn't even matter the next time. Same thing is true. You got mom and dad. You got dad's approach and you got mom's approach. That's why mom and dad need to talk. They need to be together. They need to be Because for me, I was always, these are the rules. I don't understand why we're not going to follow them. And I was often lacking in grace or forgiveness or mercy. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. Actually, we're going to look at it right this minute. James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Uh, speak and act. This applies to moms and dads. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is an important principle to learn in your home. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Some of you are all on the scale of judgment and being harsh. Maybe some of you. Mercy. How are our kids going to learn mercy? You know, salvation is by grace through faith. We're going to have to expend some energy to help our kids pick up what grace is. What, what mercy is. We don't get what we deserve. We deserve harshness. We don't get it. That's mercy. Mercy triumphs over. It's going to win. Now, truth is important. Justice is important. When it comes to raising your kids, make sure your kids get a heavy dose of mercy, okay? And that's, I, don't, I don't mean just, okay, we're going to do all mercy and we're not going to have truth. We're not going to have discipline. No, those are going to be important, but Boy, they, they need to understand mercy. Uh, don't show favoritism to your kids. This, you know, probably almost goes without saying, but I'm going to say it. Don't show favoritism. Some kids are easier um, to manage than other kids. Some kids are easier to get along. You tell them to do something, no, I want to do it. They go do it. And the other kid says, no, you know. Some kids are easier, but be careful. Don't play favorites. Make sure your kids know that you value them equally. Even if they behave differently. Um, 
God, and don't make light of problems that your kids think are important. A seven-year-old's problems are not probably the end of the world or earth-shattering, but a seven-year-old's problems are important for a parent to zoom in to find out what's going on with a seven-year-old. That's how seven-year-olds know they're loved. That's how seven-year-olds know um, mom and dad care about me. Um, so don't make like of their problems. If they're struggling in school, you don't think it's important? It's important. Okay, now we're going to go on to uh, something positive here. Raise your kids with training and instruction of the Lord. This is also in verse 4. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know what? One of the most important things you can do to bring your kids up in training, instruction of the Lord? Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loves kids will ever see or ever learn in your home. Wives, respect your husbands and follow their leadership. That's going to have a huge impact on their lives. That's how God designed the home. How many times have you wished, and maybe some of you have, that you had parents like that? If you could have learned some things from just, that's the way they did it. Didn't know any other way. Um, so instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, First, provide nurture physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, and spiritually. That's the key, key concept of bringing them up. That's our responsibility as parents, to bring them up. It's the idea of nurture. And we have this kind of total person responsibility. It's not just dumping of a bunch of Bible facts on kids. That's what some Christian training may seem like. It's about the care uh, it includes physical care, safe place, safe environment, uh, nutrition. It, uh, um, it, it includes care emotionally, you know, shepherding each child along uh, where they are, where, where, what's appropriate for them at age five, what's appropriate for them spiritually, what's appropriate at age 10. Um, And, you know, to stimulate their growth, whether it's the intellectual growth or spiritual growth, the growth in knowledge, uh, social growth, how to get along with other people. Is that going to be important in their world? Socially. Some homes don't do a very good job preparing kids to get along. Um, Luke 2.52 is just a good uh, picture here. This is a picture of Jesus uh, somewhere in his childhood, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was growing. He's obviously the person. He's growing in wisdom, which is knowledge, and then the ability to learn to apply it to everyday situations. By the way, that's the whole book of Proverbs for kids, raising kids with wisdom. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That's kind of normal. Don't be surprised. Wisdom is learning, okay, how do I think? How do I process? How do I make good decisions? Book of Proverbs. Jesus was growing in wisdom and in stature. Physically, he was growing. And in favor with God, it seemed like he knew more about God, related more to God, uh, was getting strength and favor from God in his daily walk. 
and he was growing in favor with man. He was developing a reputation in his community as he was growing up. That's just a good model for us. There's a whole person that we need to care for. Uh, The next thing is, uh, we're talking about positive instruction here, use wisdom to be age-appropriate. I've already suggested this. Remember, five-year-olds act like like 10-year-olds. And we put a standard on them, and they fail, and then we're disappointed. This is where, I don't know how it is in your home, but in our home, it's just like Sue is wired with this perfect developmental education without ever taking the class. And she just knows what a five-year-old needs at our house or what a seven-year-old needs. And um, I learn a lot about parenting from my wife. I hope some of you men will learn some things from your wives as well. Um, Use wisdom to be age-appropriate. It takes wisdom. It takes discernment. It's just not like black or white. It takes wisdom. Next, provide discipline to build character. Uh, some, Some families try to raise their kids without any discipline, like it seems too harsh. Um, discipline is important. Discipline is training. Uh, building character is about learning self-control. You know, that's going to be an important thing in life. Self-control. Can I, do I have to do everything I feel like doing? Can I say no? Do I, do I say no? How can I learn to be patient? How do I learn to wait my turn? That's, that takes training. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a positive. It's, it's a, it's discipline. We learn to say no to ourselves because it's important in our relationship with God and relationship with others. Um, Hebrews 12, 5 through 7 reminds us um, as if, so think of this as a picture here. As you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. So the writer of Hebrews now is going to go back to Proverbs 3 to a well-known passage about discipline. He says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. You can expect there are going to be times in your life if you're a follower of Christ that God is going to discipline you. He's going to be training you. You're going to go through some difficult circumstances and there are things difficult circumstances for you because you are a Christ follower. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. You can count on that. He loves you. He wants to continue to train you as a Christ follower. He wants to train the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. This is for all Christ followers, and we need to even teach this to our kids. Endure hardship. Life is sometimes very hard. We face death and dying and health issues, and financial issues, and job issues, and family issues, and marriage issues. Life is hard. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children for what children are not disciplined by their father. There's just an assumption in raising kids that you have to, you have to provide training for your kids. You have to bring discipline to your kids. Sure. This should go without saying. That's going to take some focus. If you, so, you know, the, the classic is, you're grounded for the whole year, you know. That's how I feel right now. But that may not be a very wise approach. You may have to backtrack, or you may have just almost created an impossible situation. 
and um, discipline and love. And so if I think carefully, and maybe even I say, I want to think about what the consequences are going to be, is way better than just going off the charts and saying something that's not real logical or really easy to... um, so, and the uh, next area is really, really important. I've already kind of introduced it. Teach grace and truth. It's very important. Teach them both. Grace and truth. Uh, John 1, 17. The, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you study the life of Jesus, he lived this life of balance. Grace and about truth. He just nailed them because he had these high expectations for people who knew the Bible really well. And he just nailed them with truth. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, it was grace. He didn't say, well, I know you've been married five times already and you're living with somebody that's not your husband. See, that's the truth. But grace. How do we raise kids to experience grace and truth in our homes So they grow up to be gracious and truthful people and more like Jesus. Uh, Last one here, positive discipline with fairness and consistency. I don't think I need to say more about that. We're going to switch gears for the last few minutes, and we're going to go to verses 5 through 9. It's about walking with Christ in the workplace. So we're going to switch to the workplace, and this is going to get most of you. So most of you are in the workplace. And let's read the passage because it goes, Expect in fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And... Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Okay, a lot to break down, because this is like a highly uh, controversial topic in our day. Uh, It's a very emotional topic, and let me give you a little background here. First century context the institution of slavery. In the first century, when the New Testament was written, there were about 60 million slaves. The institution of slavery was a part of life, and very much so in the Roman Empire, where most of Christianity uh, rose up. Um, There were some who were slaves who were highly educated and professionals and paid some, of the, some slaves actually were more er, uh, educated than their owners. Um, some were very poor and treated inhumanely. Some were taken in war. Uh, some were uh, indentured servants. That is, they sold themselves because of their own debt. That was an economic practice. Some were inherited as property. Many were slaves for a temporary period. Some were allowed to have their freedom at the age of 30. The Bible does not attempt to, throw, uh, to overthrow the institution of slavery. And you may feel strongly about that. It's okay you feel strongly, but make sure you're biblical. Um, 
is to revolutionize the character of people. That's God's intention through the gospel. That God is going to change people. He's going to change the hearts of people from the inside out. And as we have seen in history, that's had, it's sometimes taking a long time, but it's had a big impact on uh, human dignity and freedom and uh, dealing with slavery, both in Europe as well as in the United States. And I'm not excusing any past uh, racism or inhuman treatment. I'm just saying the institution itself was a part of the economy of the first century. Um, And what we have here is instructions for... A part of the deal, too, was in the early church, they had people who were servants or slaves who came to faith in Jesus. You could see why Christianity was attractive. And at the same, and it was possible in the same church, you could have a master and a slave. What did the Bible teach? In Christ, they're equal. In Christ, you don't have this person and this person. You have these people in the body. There is equality in Christ. Heirs in Christ. That's, that was a revolutionary concept, by the way. Um, you have um, Philemon with his servant who ran away, Onesimus. Read the book of Philemon. They're, they're believers. One's the owner, one's the servant. And uh, Paul talks to Onesimus. Uh, Philemon about this. Okay. For us, uh, 21st century, we have uh, the um, employer-employee context. We have employee-employee world. First, the employee's responsibility, verses 5 through 8. Obey your employer respectfully. This is kind of hard for some Americans to hear, but we're uh, followers of Christ. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Um, First century slaves were sometimes viewed by their owners as being uh, lazy and not focused and needed this external direction, sometimes harshly. Jesus calls his people to operate from an internal system uh, with with internal motivation. Earthly masters or... um, employers, and that's where we're, we're going to apply it here, are to be treated, be treated with respect. And all people are created in the image of God, whether you are the employee or the employer, and all deserve to be treated with respect and dignity the way we relate to them. Obey your Obey your employer with sincerity of heart, Uh, Verse 5, with sincerity of heart, pure hearts, honest intentions, not just a front on how we look. Do I look good when I say this? Next, verses 5 and 6, obey your employer like you would Jesus. That's what God says. Just as you would obey Christ, obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, when they see you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. First century, they were slaves. 21st century, we're employees. But we are slaves of Christ. He is our master. 
and we are to serve him and we serve him first and it's about and in doing this we do the will of god from our hearts uh, Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not whether you're taking care of your home and cleaning your house or mowing your yard, whether you're working for your employee in a factory, whether you're on the road driving your uh, company car and serving your employer, um, whether you're doing your summer job at the mall, whatever you do, whether you, if you're sweeping the floor, whatever you do, work at it, work at it as, you, as if you were working for Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So, this is impossible if we are not filled with the Holy Spirit. That goes before all of these commands. Whether it's children obeying their parents, parents raising their kids of the Holy Spirit. Verses 7 and 8, obey your employer wholeheartedly because you are accountable. We don't like that word, that concept to obey our employer. But that's pretty direct instructions. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you. This is about your faith. This is about, do you really believe God has designed this, and this is what God wants, and this is what God enables? Do, do you really believe this? Do you really, it's going to make a difference when you stand before Jesus? Because you know the Lord will reward each one of you, whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. It doesn't make any difference. What your social standing is. God's not going to reward the employer or the master more than anyone else. It's about attitude of the heart. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So this is uh, for believers only. This is the seat of Christ. It's only those who have been saved, whose sins are forgiven, and who are going to be in heaven. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is about reward. It's not about punishment. I expect I'm going to be, I'm going to experience some disappointment when I do, when I stand before Jesus, because I'm going to see things that, oh, I wish I'd have done that differently. But I will be rewarded and you will be rewarded for the things that were good. It's going to make a difference, and we all give an account. Um, the employer's responsibility, verse 9. Uh, first, seek your employee's welfare. And it says, just in kind of summary, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. What, what do you mean in the same way? Seek your employee's welfare. Don't be half uh, welfare. Uh, Treat uh, your employees as if they were Jesus himself. Treat them with dignity. Treat them with honor. Be respectful. That's what it means. How would that imp, imp, 
uh, influence our workplaces? You know, do we get caught up in the games that go on in the workplace? You know, when our when our supervisor's out of the room, do we we badmouth our supervisor? Are we we get caught up in that? Are we just we fit in and we just like everybody else? Or can we keep our mouth shut if there's nothing good to say right then? Um, can we can we think of things that build up, things that are positive, or don't say anything? The same is true for the master. The same is true for the employer. First, look at it with Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it. If you supervise, work at it with all your heart. Working for the Lord, not for human masters. Ultimately, you give uh, accountability to Jesus. Seek justice and fairness for your employees. Colossians 4.1. Masters, provide your slaves. Employers, provide your employees with what is right and fair because you know what you also have, that you also have a master in heaven. What is right and fair in your workplace? I think probably your workers know if you're an employer. And it's not like there's this magical set of, okay, every employee needs this. But what is right and fair in your workplace? And seek to treat people fairly. Seek to be honest. Seek to do what is right. Verse 9 should go without saying, but it's pretty explicit. Do not threaten your employees. Do not threaten them. This is how things operate in our world. Friday, you're fired. Probably get the work done may not be very good for morale. Uh, in fact, a survey conducted by researchers at Florida State University discovered that employees who endure abuse from their bosses retaliate with poor performance. Abusive behaviors included silent treatment, general avoidance and ignoring emails and other correspondence, personal put-downs, broken promises, and managers blaming their mistakes on employees to save face. Employees with difficult bosses responded in the following ways. 30% slowed down their work production purposely. 29% took sick days when they were not ill. 27% purposely avoided their boss. 25% took longer breaks uh, than the other employees. Uh, do not threaten. Neg threaten your employees. And then verse 9, be master and yours in heavens. And so to the master who has servants and to the employer who has employees, uh, be submissive to the Lord. You, need, you and I need to be submissive to the Lord because he's our master as well as everybody else's master. And then lastly, do not show favoritism with employees, just like with kids. Um, chapter 6, verse 9, and there is no favoritism with him. God does not show favoritism. He does not want us to show favoritism to uh, people, to employees, and to our kids. Uh, James chapter 5, verse chapter 2 says, my brothers and sisters, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show uh, favoritism. And one of the things that we've said already, uh, the way we're going to live this out in our home, the way that we're going to live this out in the workplace, 
is we need to be in our service, and we're going to celebrate uh, with a time of communion, and I'm going to uh, take a time to pray, and I'm going to ask those who are going to serve to come and uh, be ready to serve us. So let's bow in, in prayer. Father, as we uh, come before you this morning, we are reminded about our families and about our roles as husbands and wives and how we are to um, raise kids and our responsibilities to love them, to be consistent and to be fair. We have a responsibility in our workplace about our attitudes, about our hearts. As we uh, come before you this morning for a time of communion, where we remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, body of Jesus, we take the bread and we take the cup, and the bread reminds us of the body of Jesus, and the cup reminds us of the blood that was shed on behalf of Jesus. Lord, show us areas in our lives that dishonor you, where we failed. Maybe it's in our parenting, maybe in our marriage, maybe in the way we treat parents, maybe the way we act in the workplace toward people that we work for or for people that we work with and for people that work for us. God, show us uh, our attitudes, show us our heart, if there's anything that we need to confess, please uh, point that out. And just as we're silent before God, just ask Him to show you what He wants. Be submissive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Gracious God, I'm thankful for your promises, especially uh, today as we think about 1 John 1, 9 that says if we confess our sins that he, that is you, are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. I just thank you, God, that you've made this provision for us that when we sin, when we fail you, we can come before you and we can be forgiven and we can be cleansed. And then, Father... We're grateful that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and can have access. Thank to you. Thank you that we can have forgiveness through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And right now, we thank you for the bread that is a picture of the broken body of Jesus. And that when we eat it today, we're reminded of that. And thank you for the cup that represents the blood that was shed on the cross the price, the payment, the, the ransom for our sins. Thank you that we are redeemed and reconciled. Thank you, God, that you've forgiven our sin. We acknowledge that we don't deserve it. Thank you for the bread and thank you for the cup.
that reminds us of these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.